all right guys we are live and uh, if you are watching us from linkedin please don't forget to comment because uh, the last time we were going live on tuesday 11 a.m et we were facing some issues with linkedin live but uh, finally looks like linkedin has resolved that for us and uh, i can't wait to announce obviously my uh, today's guest logan Havin and ryan crosser uh on the rabbit show uh, uh just a little about logan he's the founder and ceo of data log he has he started his career as an engineer but quickly transitioned into the data space by participating in hackathons and kaggle projects he was also the founder of blip biometrics and yes i do i do see a message coming from linkedin so uh it's working thanks uh shruti for that message um also about, a little about Ryan, he's an entrepreneurial uh, data scientist, business leader, advisor, and early stage investor. He is an experienced leader with more than a decade of solving complex problems across various industry sectors. Uh, and also he lives on board. That's, uh, I don't want to keep it uh, a secret anymore. Ryan, you should tell us. We'll talk a little about that. So looking forward to that. Also, we today we will discuss about their journey, data discovery, data quality, importance of business context with data and much more. So if you guys are um, looking for answers in data discovery, data quality, uh, feel free to ask any questions to Logan and Ryan. They're here to completely uh, for you guys uh, and ask some questions out there. Also, uh, not only limiting to that, we are also giving away a free annual subscription of 365 Data Science today. So what you just need to do is type in hashtag 365 Data Science in the comment section and you will be up for the raffle and we'll announce the winners by the end of the show. Okay, uh, without uh, wasting any more time, let's have Logan and Ryan here. Hey! Logan, hey Ryan, welcome to the Robert Show. How's it going? Thank you, thank you. So excited to be here. Yeah, awesome. Very excited to be here. Thanks. Fantastic, Ryan. I was just telling folks about you living on the boat. <laughs> That's the exciting part. And Logan, definitely, we are talking a lot about the hackathons that you visit and you win. Uh, there are people who just visit hackathons in uh, obviously they don't win, but uh, you are there and winning all the hackathons. So looking forward to that. Uh, knowing about how how you know what are the best practices when you go and visit uh, uh, hackathons uh, for our audience. Okay, quickly. Uh, yes, Shruti is here. Uh, we have Nelson uh, also joining us. We have Christine from Chicago joining us. Um, we have Aditi here. She says hi. So everyone's here. Everyone's looking forward to knowing you guys more. Uh, so why not introduce yourself, Logan? Maybe you first. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Well, thanks so much for having us here. We're very excited to talk all things data from data quality, data discovery, data understanding, and answer any questions everyone has. So really appreciate you all tuning in. And then to tell you about myself. So I grew up in Texas outside of Houston and then went to school at Texas A&M and studied industrial engineering. But during that studying industrial engineering, I began to develop an interest in data. And then when I started my career, I started working at JetBlue on an engineering team, but most of my role was focused on data analytics and data science projects. And then I started data logs about a year ago, I actually just built the first version myself with a platform called Bubble. And then since we've been able to grow a little bit, get a few more clients and scale and start growing the team. So that's a little bit about me and where we're at with data logs. So I'd love to answer any questions, but I'll let turn over to Ryan to introduce himself now. Awesome. Thanks, Logan. Yeah, so hi, uh, my name is Ryan Grosso. Um, I grew up in New York, uh, a little bit above New York City. Um, I then uh, went uh, and got a PhD in experimental particle physics outside of Chicago at Fermilab. So hello to the Chicago viewers. Um, but during that time, I, um, uh, I kind of came into data science uh, from that academic route. Uh, I was finishing up my degree and I uh, I just got excited about all the potential out there in, in the, the tech industry. Um, so I, I left academia. I went through a, uh, a boot camp called Insight Data Science. At that time, it um, 
uh, got me uh, into the tech scene and things of that nature. After that, I, I became a technical advisor actually for that. So I've gotten to see a lot of different industry sectors and a lot of different uh, needs uh, and team structures uh, from that. Uh, and uh, I also am a, a director of data science for uh, Spark Beyond. So a uh, bunch of uh, um, interesting uh, experiences that I'm gonna get to share today. Uh, about three or four months back, I met Logan um, we chatted, um, super excited about Datalogs, uh, the platform, uh, where, where his vision is for, um, uh, for the future of data and data cataloging and data discovery. Um, and yeah, we can, we, we can talk about the, uh, the exciting part. I do live on a boat, um, full-time <laughs> live on a boat. Um, so uh, yeah, 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 that's, uh, that's, uh, that's me. Excited to be here. So Ryan, you and have to show that view you showed us earlier. Exactly, okay. please. I, I promise I will show the view. So I'm not physically on the boat today. Um, uh, the internet was a little weak, so I decided to um, dinghy over in my small boat uh, to uh, a different location that has really, really great coffee. Uh, and as you can see, a really, really phenomenal view. Um, so wow. there, there you all go. <laughs> wow, wow. And, and where is this, Ryan? This is, uh, so currently I'm in uh, Grenada in the West Indies. So I'm typically based out of New York uh, in Manhattan. Um, but, you know, with COVID, uh, my, my wife and I, we decided um, let's buy a boat and live on a boat. Uh, we've always wanted to do it. So um, the boat's now in, in uh, Grenada and we'll be planning in the, the fall to kind of make our way back uh, and around. Fantastic. Thanks for that introduction, guys. Uh, a quick question for Logan, definitely. Uh, one thing that uh, I wanted to ask Logan about your, uh, you leaving the, you know, your full-time job and then uh, obviously we have seen uh, data logs doing so well. You've been participating in hackathons and, you know, various types of competitions as well and you're building uh, uh, your own brand. So how difficult was it to, you know, start or maybe what brought you, what motivated you actually to start with data logs? Yeah, that's a really good question. So I've always been someone who like really likes to keep myself busy. So if I'm not working, I want to be doing something productive rather than just like sitting around doing different things. So I've always been like, okay, what can I be doing with my spare time? And I always kind of like dabbled and had some sort of side hustle or project going on in my spare time. So when I was at JetBlue and when COVID hit, no one was flying anymore on the airlines at all. So because mm -hmm. of that, they actually had to reduce everyone's salary as well as hours just to give people time back in their day and save the company a little money because literally no one was flying planes anymore. But this freed up so much of my time that I had basically an extra day, three day weekend every weekend for like six months. So I used this time to really say, okay, what were the biggest challenges that I faced in the data world at JetBlue and how can I try to solve them? So I've always had that interest for side hustles and always wanted to try to build something myself. So that was sort of the motivation that got me started with data logs wow. and then yeah, so I started building it myself just in my spare time, a little bit spending weekends after work, before work on it. And after about mm -hmm. six months of this, I was able to put a platform online and it grew to like 300, 400 users in just a few weeks. And it was wow. just a very basic like data catalog, data dictionary school store uh, platform that people could yeah. use, integrate their data sets with and start documenting. It was a lot of university students on the platform as well as like a couple different research groups. And then mm -hmm. this sort of really excited me like, okay, I'm sort of going down the right track here, but I just kept working on it in my spare time and we kept growing, growing, growing. But then once I finally hit the point where I was like, okay, I'm sleeping three hours a night and I can't do a full-time job and also do this well, it was at the point where I was like, okay, I have to go all in and take this risk and like, okay, I'm going to try to build this and make this happen, put all my effort and time and energy into this. And so that happened about, I think, six weeks ago now that I switched over to data logs full time. And we've seen a lot of traction and growth since then. And we're hoping to keep that momentum going and continue from there. So, yeah, that's the brief overview of how it all happened. Wow, this is a super inspiration. What do you think, Ryan, about data logs? Um, I, I think uh, data logs is an incredible vision. And it's something, it's a space that um, truly needs to be tapped. Um, there's been a few, um, let's call it efforts in, in recent yeah. years, but they really haven't cracked it. And it's, it's, you know, it's time to kind of revamp it. And Logan, like I said, has an amazing drive. And I chat with him a lot and he's got super deep passion, great vision for the product. And it's just, 
it's an exciting time to be to be in this space. Data is ever growing, right? I mean, it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And now not just the number of records that you're getting is bigger, but the type of data that you get to leverage is is getting more complex uh, and such. So perfect, perfect right time for, uh, for Logan to kind of take this jump. Yeah, I think definitely that uh, it does sound exciting. And uh, I can definitely validate on one thing that is, uh, uh, you know, obviously, uh, Logan's interest for, uh, uh, you know, his own brand and his passion for data logs. So, uh, Logan, what is your airline story, uh, you know, about finding data? And uh, tell us more about it. Yeah, yeah. So that's a good question. So that like initial motivation, I was like, okay, there has to be a way, a better way to discover data. So I was working and I got a project from my boss. I can't remember exactly what it was, but I needed this new data set to do this project. And then just to find the data set, I had to talk to an IT team who sent me to a different business team. That business team sent me to someone else in IT. That IT person sent me to someone else in the business side. So I jumped around to four or five different people before just finding the right data for this project. And then once I finally found the data, it was already my deadline passed. I was like, okay. <laughs> I couldn't even start the project. <laughs> I missed my deadline. And then I finally find the right data. I'm missing the right access controls to get in and actually use the data. I was like, okay, this process is so inefficient. Why isn't there a better, easier way? So then I finally got access. And now like three weeks have gone by for a three day project that I was supposed to have like in just a few days. Right. And so those weeks went by, I finally get access. And then once I get into the data set, I start seeing like null values, different pieces I didn't understand. And just to like call out a two different like tribal trivial knowledge issues with this data set. So what I mean by that is like when you're working with data, you need to know the context behind the different pieces. So we had one right. column that was like regions in the data and there was the values NA and A and A. And I thought these were all null values, but it turns out those NA values actually stood for North America. And then I did the project completely wrong because I was missing that context behind the data. I'm like, okay, I can't find data. I don't have the context. Then I keep doing the same project. And then there's another issue. There was like timestamps in the data set. And I just assumed they were local timestamps, like most of our other data sources at the company. But then mm -hmm. once I started doing the research, like something's not adding up. It turns out those timestamps were in Zulu time rather than in local time. So when I joined oh. on the data sets, they didn't match at all. And I was like, okay, how do we not have this context document anywhere? It just lives in the person's head who made it. There has right. to be like a better way to really solve this. So that was the initial motivation is like, okay, we can do something. I can build something myself. I can try to piece something together. I've done little small projects before. There's all kinds of no code tools out there. I can try to fake it as a developer, see what happens. But yeah, that was that initial motivation. Wow. I think definitely, uh, you know, the, it was a funny experience for you, but uh, when you might be on the job, it might be not that funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was definitely feeling like, okay, I got to get this done. And then just mistake kept happening after mistake because I just didn't understand the background behind that data. Very true. Yeah. So uh, Shruti is here. She, she's uh, very interested to know more about business context with data. So, uh, that is definitely this is one of the examples uh also quick question here from aditi what inspired you to start your own brand logan one of yeah. these would be this <laughs> yeah exactly i think i've always just been interested in trying to create something do something a little off the normal track but what really inspired me to start building data logs was this just having this big problem in my workspace and then after i had this problem, I started talking to a bunch of my friends. So I called up everyone like, Hey, you're working in data. How does your company solve this? And they're like, uh, we don't, I have that same problem. So it just kept like bouncing around. I was like, okay, I can do something. And then one day I was just like, uh, I don't remember playing basketball or something with a few friends. And then the name data logs came to me. I was like, okay, that sounds pretty cool for a brand name. I got the wow. name, got an idea. Let's try to do something about it. So that was, the problem was really what motivated me to try to start this. Wow, this is amazing. Uh, also, uh, I wanted to know more about, you know, how does uh, the workflow like for finding new data? How does it look at data logs? How do you do that? And how is it coming together? Yeah, yeah. So the way that data logs actually works is we're indexing all of a company's data sources and data assets. 
So if you have data in Snowflake and Redshift and Google BigQuery, we read all the schema tables. And then we also read your uh, metadata information for your dashboarding tools. So like Power BI, Tableau, we connect to the metadata API to read, okay, who made this? When was it made? What are the charts in it? What data is behind it? And we index all of this information, scan it for a company on a daily basis, a weekly basis. And then we have this Google-like search environment after we index it all, where you can just type what you're looking for. And we show you all of the data assets for that source. And we can get a demo later. I'd love to walk through it. But we show you all of those different data assets you might need for your project. So no more asking around to IT, wandering around your company in circles in the office. Hey, where's the data? Yelling it across the rooms. But now we create this Google-like search and experience where you can find data. And then the next piece is understanding. So you can click into a table on data logs and really understand that context behind it. Yeah, it actually makes uh, something which is very practically easy for those who are looking at data. And definitely data logs is doing, uh, making it much more easy for the employees and I'm sure for the clients as well. So um, a quick one for Ryan, Ryan, what? Uh, why, why not you tell us a little about you, what do you do, where you're coming from, and everything about you. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> so, yeah, so um, so in my current role, right, I, I've gotten to see a lot of different industry sectors, a lot of different teams, a lot of different right. use cases and things of that nature. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, what, what Logan speaks about is so true across every different industry sector, every different, you know, data scientists, analysts, business, it's, it's, it's such a long amount of time to figure out what's going on with your data. So I, uh, I'll share one example. So I, um, about three years back or so, I was working with um, one of the largest insurance companies in, in the US. And, um, you know, I was, I was tasked with helping them build a churn model. And in this process, you know, we, we start the discussion, okay, what type of data do you have? Uh, where is it located? And they're like, well, we have this one table. And I'm like, okay, there's eight columns of data in here, or eight columns in this data set. We have to have more. We're not going to be able to really do anything with this. Um, so they say, oh, okay, um, we, we know the company as well. So, okay, let's bring in Dun & Bradstreet data. Great, where is that? Oh, uh, we got to go find it. So they go and find it. Um, what, what else can we have? Um, let's, let's bring in, um, information about our interactions with that person, right? Because maybe, maybe after the first six months, when you've sold a policy, uh, you want to engage that person and say, Hey, you want to, you, you want to buy a policy again next year. Um, so, okay, let's, let's bring in call center data and things like that. That was a mess to even come close to, to where it was, <laughs> let alone what the data looked like. Right. Um, so we, we, we go through a few different data sources and we get towards the end of the project as always delayed right? Because we access with a pain and, and things like that. But um, the it, it's important to know the team that I was working with, they were a junior team. They didn't really know the full business context of how underwriting works and how policies are actually delivered to, to people. And it turns out that there's a whole different um, dimension to this, which is once the policy is, is underwritten and uh, proposed, mm -hmm. it actually goes through a brokerage and a few different brokers pick it up. So there's a whole wealth of data and insights coming from uh, what brokerage picked up the, the offer. Where, uh, what's the tenure of the broker? It's actually quite predictive of, you know, more senior uh, brokers will cater the, the policy and, and give good deals. And um, people actually have a longer lifetime value, i.e. less likely likelihood to churn as well. And this goes back to, to Logan's point where, you know, he's talking about this tribal knowledge and understanding business context, right. because we didn't know that, you know, we asked a few people and we're like, oh, this is kind of how it works, but we didn't really know how it works. And just imagine if you could go into something like data logs and say, I'm doing customer lifetime value. I'm doing a churn model. Do we have a data set that connects to um, uh, the company that, who sold it? And then all of a sudden you see this and you're like, oh, there's a whole brokerage table here let me bring this into my problem. And all of a sudden I get to know this information mm -hmm. 10 weeks ago, three months early or whatever have you, instead of getting to the end and being like, wow, that would have been great if we would have been able to bring that in. And this, this problem happens all, all too often, again, in so many different types of uh, uh, use cases and, and uh, uh, teams. So something like data logs, like I said, not only just the context of what the data means, but expanding the universe of what data can be brought into the problem that you're trying to solve is extremely powerful. 
Yeah. I know. I think definitely that makes a lot of sense. And it is a very interesting example that you've just given. So a uh, question to both Logan and Ryan, what do you guys mm -hmm. think? How much uh, time does a data analyst actually spends on data discovery? Because it kind of, you know, obviously kind of relates to the example that you've just said, Ryan. Hmm. Yeah, that's a really good question. So Ryan, I love that example. And I don't know how you haven't shared it with me before, <laughs> but that sounds like such a big use case for product. And I wonder like what other companies across the board suffer from similar issues with just without that knowledge documented in one place, how do you figure that out and get around that? But yeah, Ravi, to answer your question about how much time. So of course, since we're building a product to solve this, we want to say, 100% of the time on data discovery, but realistically, that's probably not true. But a study came out yeah. from Lyft a few years ago that said their data analysts and data scientists were spending 20% of their week just trying to find and understand data. So 20% mm -hmm. is literally one day a week of just trying to find and understand this data. So imagine if you can get one day back a week with something that can index and help those data tools to easily find what you're looking for. So yeah, so that's that's what mm -hmm. I've heard from that one study, but in my own experience at working for different companies and hearing from different friends talk about this problem, I'd estimate anywhere from 10 to 20% of a data analyst, data scientist time can be spent just trying to find and understand the right data. And then Ryan, I'm not sure if you agree or disagree, but love to hear it. No, 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 <laughs> I, I, I absolutely agree. But to add on to it, um, when you hear percentages, right, their their distributions and things like that, and and that number is is right, but it's important to note that if if you don't have an understanding of your data or an access to to your data, right, it's a full stop on the project, right? You, it, it's one of those things that you can't move forward. So maybe that twenty percent of the time is just all at the very beginning, right? Or it's extremely long and that's delaying other things that, that could get done, right? So it's not like a linear, every day I wake up and I do 30 minutes doing my emails and getting to inbox zero, right? Like that, you know, that that's X percentage, whatever have you. But it's it's important to know that it's like a, it could be a huge barrier. And and that type of time is is super painful for businesses when they're trying to get, get stuff done. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, going back to that story of my data discovery experience, I may not have had to spend all that time just every week looking for data, but when I did need that new data, it delayed this project like mm -hmm. weeks. That was supposed to be a quick turnaround just because I didn't have that business context, didn't know where it was located. So that's a really good point. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Uh, a quick question from the audience actually from YouTube that I would love to pick is uh, for Logan. Hi, Logan, I love it. Uh, thanks for this session. Can you tell us a little about your experience with data when you were working in airlines? So yeah, yeah. anything that, that any example that you would want to share? Yeah, yeah, I'd love to talk about it. So an airline, if you can imagine, has so much data, whether it's customer data, data about how many bags, <laughs> there's safety data about incidents of what happens on planes. There is fueling data. We have to calculate the weights and loads to get the right balance on the plane for every single flight there's right. delay data so there's just so many different assets of data at an airline which i think it makes it one of the most challenging exciting areas to solve problems in the data space because mm -hmm. there's just so many different areas to focus on that you can pretty much optimize use data science in almost every different facet of the airline and an airline, like for me, it's like running a ton of mini businesses and operations all in this one, just to make one plane fly. Like if you think you have the security group to get through, you have the flight attendants, you have the pilots, you have the airport staff. There are so much data that an airline generates. It's just crazy. But yeah, to talk about like my focus when I was working at the airline and what I really worked on is I was on a team that helped out with on-time performance. So it was our group's area to do our best to prevent flight delays. How can we stop delays from happening? So I had a few pretty cool projects with um, just trying to build models to actually predict when a delay of a flight's going to happen. So if we know that the fueling team is gonna arrive late because they were behind on three other aircrafts, how can we say, okay, this flight has a 60% chance of being delayed. Let's add some more staff or try to speed up a different process there. So I think airlines are still, 
definitely on the earlier side, maybe of using data mm. science, but that's just going to increase in the next 10, 20, 30 years and just going to grow so much of all the different opportunities to begin working data. So if you have the opportunity to work as a data scientist or data analyst for an airline, I highly recommend it. It was probably the fastest I've learned something in my life and just different wow. areas I really picked up working from that industry. Yeah, I think definitely that makes a lot of sense and that's a very interesting uh, field to be in, I think, uh, which is air industry. People do think, okay, there are various industries, but airlines don't think that uh, there's a need of data scientists, but I think uh, that's one of the most fast growing industry. So yeah, yeah. I don't know about uh, what what's the situation in pandemic though. Right, right. Yeah, I think during the pandemic, it was definitely hard with people not flying. But mm -hmm. the sort of recovery for the airlines was almost a V-shaped recovery. So airlines that tanked down, no one's flying, and then yeah. it maybe stayed down for a little bit. I guess my hand was off screen. And then when vaccines started coming out of things, the booking curves just shot right back up. So I think at least from in the US, the TSA numbers are at what they were above in 2019 month to month. I'm not sure how the different COVID variants might affect that over the next few months. But this summer, yeah. I think it was one of the busiest times ever for airlines. And then to yeah. turn it over to Ryan, I'd love to hear about Ryan, any thoughts, because you've worked with so many different industries about exactly. what you think some of the most complicated data projects, problems are exciting industries to work in. I'm definitely biased towards airlines because that's where the bulk of my experience is. Yeah, no, um, I think one of the, um, uh, one of the most interesting industries, if you will, is um, uh, not not really a, a specific industry, but a specific type of uh, problem in an industry. So for example, uh, anything that has to do with like customer relationship and customer, um, uh, customer lifetime value, things like that. There's a large amount of information now of like, what are your purchasing patterns? Uh, are you having a good time? Are you able to bring in, um, you know, things like uh, uh, call center type data. So anything in that realm of customer lifetime value, I think is an extremely important um, space that really hasn't been explored too much, right? Um, and it really comes down to the back bottom line of, well, we want to keep our customers and that's that's an important, important thing for any business, right? Um, so, so anything that has that type of rich data and that type of rich uh, uh, problem case, I think it's something that's 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 really really interesting. Um, data um, uh, also, it's I, I think worth noting that um, people I don't think started to really realize the power of uh, uh, use cases in that space. So therefore, they didn't really capture a lot of the the data, the right type of data along the way. You'll have um, very very often I see um, companies where they say, "Oh, here's my good customers," and it's like, "Okay, well, how did you?" How did you how did you figure out good like what, what, do, what do you mean good customers and it's just literally some you know uh some person sitting there saying yeah I, I like this dude i like this girl this is great blah 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 they're an amazing company they're good and it's like that doesn't help like you know so i i, I think um that space is super ripe for um for for something in data yeah. right it really makes sense so uh okay Actually, there was a quick comment from Bruce uh, who agreed on the data discovery. The same in aerospace, at, at least 20% every process is generating data capture and format is a big issue. Mm -hmm. So do, uh, do you also have any say in the aerospace industry? Do you know more about it, Logan? Yeah, so I've never actually worked for in the aerospace yeah. industry, but we, when working at an airline, we do interact a lot with aircraft data. So like yeah, exactly. Boeing or Airbus, the amount of data that those aircrafts produce every couple minutes, and just to keep a safe flight, like that is so much data and just another major asset that I'm sure there's so much different work that can go on. And mm -hmm. I think Bruce's comment, so at least 20% of every process is yeah. generating data. That is huge. So that's gonna be so much mm -hmm. data and there's gonna be so many different things that pop up and can go along with it. But I think I guess the, after hearing Ryan talk about the one sector and then my experience in airlines, like we are kind of at the forefront of as this data is being generated more and more of it, how are companies mm -hmm. gonna take full advantage of it? Because mm -hmm. I think as your data volume increases, it also gets messier and more confusing to work with. 
Because just because yeah. your data volume is increasing doesn't mean you're actually going to scale your data team at the same speed. So how do you continue to manage that context around it? How do you keep consistent documentation? How do you, when people come in and out, prevent change from happening? So there's, mm-hmm. as data grows and grows, there's going to be a lot of opportunities that pop up, but mm-hmm. also challenges with the documentation, discovery, quality, and a bunch of different pieces there. Yeah, I think if I could just add on to that, right? There's yeah. there's this whole other dimension that uh, I think people forget about, right? But this serendipitous um, connection to data that you would have never thought to explore, right? Um, if you can if you can easily visualize and see like maybe a lineage map of how data connects, you can, like going back to the insurance example. I would have never thought to, to, to bring in broker level data. And maybe now we can build in, or, or that company um, actually have done this, built in processes to um, vet the brokers that are coming in because they want good quality brokers based on a certain set of parameters. And, you know, I, when, I'm, when I'm solving a problem, sometimes I just don't think what data is, is, is you know, the most important. Maybe I have a bias towards things. Maybe I, I don't know about things. And I, you know, I, one of the things I said to Logan that I, I like to say, is like, you can't find insights from the data that you own if you don't know you have it, right? So mm-hmm. if it's sitting somewhere in your company and you don't even know about it, but it is joinable, like if you, if you don't know about it, you can't find those insights. And, and something like data logs to surface this right up to the front is a whole nother dimension of not just speed to finding and getting data, but yeah. speed to creativity. Of, of seeing what data could be useful. Yeah, yeah. I actually saw a stat the other day and I think I wrote a brief LinkedIn post about mm-hmm. it. So anyone, please feel free to add me on LinkedIn. I've been trying to follow in Ravit's footsteps of putting out quality content <laughs> that is helpful to the You're doing that already. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so this quote was focused on, I think it said 75% of enterprise data at companies is mm-hmm. untouched. So there is all this dark data out there that hasn't been discovered. Don't know how it was created, like, but that's a whole opportunity in itself. Like how do we unlock that extra 75% of dark data out there? Imagine like the projects that could happen from just unlocking those different assets and helping them be used at companies on an enterprise level. Cool. 75% is a huge number when you say it's an untouched data. Do you mean, um, uh, Logan, is it the bad data or is it just not known to uh, the company folks yet and uh, can be, it can be worked around, but the company obviously has so much to do that they can't touch that 75% already? Yeah, yeah. I think just because so much data is automatically generated mm-hmm. and being stored in a data warehouse somewhere that a lot of data assets are just growing, growing, growing faster than the rate of the data analyst, data scientist, how many of those are available to actually do the data work. But what comes along with that is the missing documentation. How do you understand the quality if no one's worked with it before? So there's that whole context piece that's also missing to help understand, okay, how can we use all of this data that's in different places at the company? Yeah. It, it, it is very interesting. And uh, George Perikin actually mentions the same thing that I think the dark data can have some great potential. So maybe uh, companies might want to actually explore more from that 75% of the data and can get more business out of it or can change mm-hmm. some structural uh, functions in the company. So it does make a lot of sense. Okay, before I pick a question from Facebook, which is a very interesting question from Sumit Sawan. I would actually want to know from you guys, uh, what are some of the best examples where you have seen data make a huge impact uh, on an organization? And uh, if you can share some experiences there. Mm-hmm. Ryan, I think I'll let you take this one first and then I can <laughs> sure. talk about it after. Sure. So um, there's, uh, <laughs> I have so many examples from this. And again, seeing, seeing a, a spectrum of different types of companies it's very obvious that the companies that invest in their their data assets, invest in their data understanding, invest in like good infrastructure, these, these are the ones that actually thrive very, very, very well. Uh, and the ones that don't are the ones that are continuously, um, uh, you know, struggling continuously, not producing things, not producing to the best top quality. And another um, interesting insight that I, I kind of found from this is companies that don't do that actually have a pretty high turnover rate because people just get frustrated. People don't, you know, they're like, okay, this is just a mess. I want to go to a company that is organized and I can, you know, leverage my skills and, uh, and go from that. So, um, 
there's there's tons and tons of examples. Maybe I'll Logan, I'll leave it to you in case there's there's one in particular. But it's it it's a high level theme that that really comes up over you know many you know many 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 different types of industries and companies. Yeah, that's a really good answer. And then yeah, to sort of go a different direction with it, I think what really excites me, like just when I'm living like my day to day life, and I'm like, oh, data science powers that. So there's like so many different things that pop up on a daily basis. Like just one is like when I commute somewhere, I'm living in New York City. So I take the subway route and like if I looked at a map and try to figure out but the data that just Google Maps uses to give me the best point A to point B or Netflix recommendation can tell me what I want to watch better than I know myself. So like different pieces of that, like just seeing data science in my everyday life, that just gets me so excited. Like, okay, there's so much opportunity out there in different pieces. So Ravid, I love it to turn it back to you to hear something in your life where you've seen data on just like that everyday basis, if you have an example. Mm. Mm, I think it's uh, very clear for me. Uh, uh, it's about the exercise that I really do. Maybe that data, how am I putting it together? And how does my app tells me that maybe you need to run two kilometers more because you've already been running, you know, the same distance for the last 15 days. And now it's time oh, to yeah. run <laughs> two kilometers more. So that's something I think is, uh, you know, how everything's been tracked. It's not only about my, it will not only track my diet, it will, but also track about my running, about uh, different things that uh, will involve in, in an exercise. So definitely, I think uh, that data kind of excites me sometimes because uh, you can go back and look at it after, after a year and it's like, oh my God, I've, I've come a long way. So those data are definitely, and I think uh, that's the way how companies and how brands are actually gathering data. And um, it comes back to your point where 75% of the data is untouched still with right, them right. because it's so much so it does make a lot of sense okay so, so what so, is this workout app do we need to get it <laughs> you you can give it a try it's fast track okay. uh, yeah it, it's nice it's something which keeps you uh, i i know for sure ryan won't do that because he's on board I, I, <laughs> <laughs> i'll run around the boat yeah <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right. Uh, okay. Yeah. I won't uh, miss on this question from Sumit Sawant. He's on Facebook. How accurately can you predict customer behavior using data science? Is the cost to benefit positive in most cases? Interesting question. Mm. That one sounds like a Ryan question. Yeah. So, so this, this is a very interesting question uh, because um, in a lot of instances, um, you can bring in a lot of data and you can reasonably accurately predict customer behavior. But mm -hmm. the the real question to kind of ask and think about is um, at the end of the day, it's not great or it, it's not useful to be able to predict the behavior. What you want to do is you want to be able to change or leverage or influence the behavior. If, if you know someone is going to, you know, leave your subscription or something like that, well, that's, that's fine. But what you really want to know is why are they going to leave, uh, leave your company, leave your subscription. So, um, so, so the answer again to that exact question is yes, you, you can do it really, really well. But you know, I tell a lot of people it, it's okay to sacrifice the performance of your models, the performance of your uh, uh, your your, um, uh, your your data insights uh, in in balance and in conjunction with something that's actionable. Right? I will gladly take a model that has ninety percent or whatever you know on performance instead of ninety nine percent because I have a model that's actionable. And I can say, oh, I know why this person is gonna churn. It's because they've called three times and we haven't gotten them an answer. You know, then maybe you need to fast track them and get a specialist on the, on the call. Or I know that they are not gonna, um, uh, or I know that they're gonna churn because they've been unhappy with uh, the delivery time for, for their products or whatnot. Maybe just throw them a, you know, throw them a package and say, hey, you're a valued customer. And if you know the, the reasons why, that's, um, in my opinion, way more important than just knowing that 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 um, uh, the behavior is about to happen. Um, does it make sense? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> nice one there, uh, uh, Ryan. Great question. Uh, yeah, yeah, great question. Yeah, thanks for the question, uh, Sumed. Nice one. Um, 
quickly just wanted to remind folks uh, who are just joining in that we are giving away uh, 365 data science uh, course. So feel free to hashtag 365 data science in the chat and we'll be doing a raffle by end of the show. Not only limiting to that, uh, we are also uh, uh, giving free access to only to the Robert Show viewers uh, by and Logan has been very uh, kind for doing that for us. Uh, so where Logan, where can they actually look out for that? Uh, is it datalogs.io slash the Robert Show? Yeah, yeah. So to talk a little bit yeah. about that is yeah, please. So we've been building this enterprise data discovery solution for some time. But over the next few months, we're going to be releasing a version focused on the end user for data. So what that means is we basically want to create an easy way for anyone to document data. We don't necessarily have to integrate all of your company's data warehouses and have that complete buy-in. So this would be great for like a Kaggle project or maybe in your if you're doing a class on data science, somewhere to centralize all that documentation. So we're envisioning this light version of data logs to be where you can basically copy any data set in any format into this version and we'll mm -hmm. make help you with smart documentation to briefly talk about okay what does each column mean we'll try to predict some areas there we'll have a question board to store all of the trivial tribal knowledge uh, as well as an area to upload code snippets so basically just our goal is to make the easiest way for anyone to quickly document data and we're going to put that out for free online in a few months. And we'd love to give early access to the Ravit show to help us test it, try it out, give us feedback over the next few months. So I think Ravit has the link up now and I think it's yeah. in the chat, but we'd love to share with anyone interested. And then also, if you're really interested in helping out or even testing or giving one of our tools a try, just shoot me a message on LinkedIn. We're building a bunch of different products and rolling them out over the next few weeks, few months. So we'd love to get feedback along the way and really love getting it from the community, the power data users out there. Yeah, definitely. I've just shared the link with the folks and uh, it's in the post as well. So don't uh, feel free to go and, uh, you know, uh, check it uh, out yourself. It's uh, just for the Ravit Show viewers. So I'm very happy about that. Thanks, Logan, <laughs> for making it very special for the audience here. Uh, a quick question from Bruce that I would, would love to take. Uh, can you uh, talk about data visualization and education for upper management? Yeah, that's a really good question. So I think that happens so often at companies <laughs> where someone creates some sort of great dashboard, different piece, but how do you get that upper management to actually adopt it and begin using it? And rather than relying on like some weekly email report that comes through to actually go in and use these dashboard tools that so many data analysts, data scientists are building and putting out there. So I think that has to go with a lot of the culture at the company. And sometimes mm -hmm. that can start from the bottom up to make changes or as well as a top down initiative where a company brings on a new data lead, data focused person to help grow from there. But mm -hmm. I think like as time goes on, the importance of data to leadership is gonna keep growing, growing, growing. And that data literacy piece that I think I've heard talked about from on George's show, on Ravit's show is how do we increase data literacy at different companies? So how can we have the leadership really invested and focused on those best data practices where they're really empowering and helping the data analysts using the reports they generate? So I don't know a golden solution on how to convince upper management who is resistant to data change to start using data visualizations tools and really counting on those data analysts, data scientists more. But I think as the culture of data just keeps growing and right. continuing over the next few years, it's only going to increase since the demand for dashboards like that. And then Ryan, I'm sure you have a different take on this and I'd love to hear it as well. Yeah, no, no. I, I think the most important thing to remember is that, um, you know, I tell a lot of people like you don't learn particle physics overnight, right? I did schooling for seven years to, to kind of barely learn it, <laughs> if you will. But it's the same with um, working with with data in your upper management and your, your C-suite and things like that. It's it's a journey, right? It it takes time to understand how and why uh, data is visualized a certain way and the value that comes from it. So uh, the one thing I you know I can encourage people is that like if you're on this journey of building it from from the ground up again, like look, I don't have a, a golden solution, but but I, what, what I will say is don't don't give up, right? Uh, it, it takes change, it uh, takes time, uh, try different techniques, try different visuals. You know, some people like chart A, some people like chart B, 
and, and see what works in your company. Different companies are going to have different cultures and different behaviors, but don't, don't, don't give up on trying to make the whole company as data-driven as possible. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a really good point. And you can also, I guess, going as a data person trying to convince people to use more data is A-B testing it. So try something. If that doesn't work, try something else. So like Brian said, just keep trying those different options to convince. And eventually, I think people will like something. And then if they don't like anything, be like, hey, I sent you these five different options. Just curious why you didn't use any of these. Like, I'd love to get your feedback, loop them in like, okay, if I built this, would this be more useful if we did an email report? So A-B testing to figure out, okay, how can we get that buy-in from people who are resistant? Very cool. Yeah, good point. Nice one. Uh, okay, I would love to take this question from my, Mike Nash. Uh, do you find the most companies are not aware of the value of their data and have you had Eureka moments when you have explained the possibilities? We can talk about obviously the 75% of the data, uh, untouched data, but anything other than that? Yeah, yeah. So I think to a lot of companies, data can just be a buzzword. So like <laughs> we are leveraging data to do X, Y, Z but the actual how they're getting and beginning to do that isn't always happening in practice. So I think a lot of companies want to be data-driven and are starting a lot of digital transformation initiatives, but mm -hmm. they're not necessarily actually executing on those initiatives. But I think as time goes on, as more data tools are out there to make this easier, as more data science, data analysts, talent exists that can help accelerate this, I think this will only grow. So I think right now yeah. the biggest gap in basically companies not understanding the full value is just, do they have the right tools, the right people in place to take advantage of that data they have? And that's not a priority for every company. So if you have someone generating billions in revenue and they have no competition and they may not need or find out that that's a priority right now to focus on data. So you may not be able to convince every company of the value of their data has today, even if it could increase their margin by 10% or 20%, it may not be a priority at this time. But mm -hmm. I think as time goes on and as tools evolve and as more data analysts, data scientists exist, that they'll only find more value in the future. Mm -hmm. Yeah, to add on a little bit to that, I think one of the yeah. one of the best ways to get the Eureka moments uh, for, for this, uh, where, where people understand, is to actually not bore them with slides and you know numbers and things like that, but to just show them. Show them, here's mm. the platform. Here's an example of how your problem ties into what this platform can do for you. Um, and it, you know, it, it, it's, it's another great plug for, for the link to, to, to give data logs out a try, because yeah, exactly. that's, that is the best way to really map together and show that, oh, no, no, there's a real platform. You can type, you can search, you can explore, you can code, whatever have you, as opposed to, well, here's a, a slide deck on how it worked for someone else, right? That's, you know. So I, I think that's, um, in my experience, one of the best ways to, to get people to see that is to really tie it together to, here, look, it's a real thing. I'm not, I'm not selling mm -hmm. you smoke. I'm not selling you anything like that. Like, you can use it and, and give it a try. Yeah, it's it's more like where you are actually satisfying the customer well before in hand before selling them anything and letting right. them know that this is the product that you're looking out for and this is how it is solving your problem. So it does make a lot of sense, Ryan. Thanks for that uh, explanation. Nice one, Logan. Um, okay, so before I take any questions from the audience, I had a question which uh, was around your experiences that you might have faced uh, with quality issues in the past. So uh, were there any quality issues, uh, like maybe bad data or anything around those lines? I would love to know those experiences. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good question. So I think in, when working with data, one of the most important things that if you don't have data that you can trust, data that you can understand, you probably won't be able to produce the best results. So mm. I think, for every data source that exists, some validation needs to happen to ensure the information is accurate. Because if you're building a model or a dashboard or a different piece, how can you really generate that insight if the data is wrong? That is like the core to your project, to your job. So I think data quality is a very, very important thing. And understanding it to me comes in two different ways. So one is 
you can automate data quality understanding in some way by trying to figure out, okay, how many outliers are there in the data? What is the mean medium mode and trying to just do some basic statistics to understand, okay, what values don't line up in this data? Is it making sense? And then also sanity checks. So if you know that this timestamp should be near this value and you compare that to real time and it's six minutes off every time and the variability of how much that data is off, you're like, okay, maybe I can't rely on this data as much. And then the last piece of data quality, I think actually comes from the users who create it and the people who use it. So how can you document that piece of, okay, this is a data set that's been validated, that is good, that has our stamp of approval. Mm -hmm. Where can that live? So we're actually trying to solve that in data logs is like, how can you understand as a data analyst, your company might have a thousand data sets, but exactly. only a hundred of them have that stamp of approval that they're good to use, they're good to go. Because the worst feeling in the world is doing an entire project and then realizing I did this great project, but the data that helps me get there is not right. <laughs> so none of my insights make sense. And you go present it to your leadership and they're like, well, that seems off. Like what happened? And then you're like, check all your work, it all looks good. You're like, no, I'm good, I'm smart, I did this, I checked it, I had my friend check it. But then you finally, after days, weeks, get to that data source, and you're like, oh, the data I used is bad. I bad. just wasted three weeks yep. a month. So that's just a little bit there. And then Ryan, I think you have a data quality story as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do, a uh, real quick one. Uh, so I was, um, it's actually a really, really interesting uh, data quality phenomena. I was working with um, some Airbnb data uh, in New York City and working on the pricing model uh, for that. And um, uh, Airbnb data, right, has a large amount of uh, textual information in it, right? It also has, Airbnb also has the location information. And um, as, I was, as I was sifting through this data, um, one of the things I was noticing was that um, uh, there were two columns, one column about a sub-neighborhood of where an Airbnb was listed. And then another column called cleanse. And I was like, oh great, they've done the data cleaning for me. I'll just use the cleanse neighborhood, right? Like, thank you. And um, there wasn't much documentation on it for, for this particular column. Um, so I go through and I, I, um, uh, I run uh, you know, an, a few analyses. I find some insights, everything's, insights, everything's looking great. Um, and then I start to explore a little bit deeper on this uncleansed version. And one of the things that I, I found out was that Airbnb in that cleanse version, right? Since they know the location from the latitude and longitude, if the user mm -hmm. does not put in that information of the neighborhood that they're in, they'll just impute it. And it turns out in some sub neighborhoods, specifically on the northern part of, of Manhattan, um, if you, you as the Airbnb host did not put your neighborhood in, your neighborhood description in, um, mm -hmm. there was actually a very strong indicator for the price of that listing. Uh, by the fact of not labeling that, that neighborhood, people were kind of uh, hiding the fact of which sub-neighborhood it was in. Um, so there's signal in a lot of things if you understand how it's captured and, and not you know, just jumping to, to a cleansed version or things like that. So really interesting phenomena. Just wanted to share it uh, quick. Mm -hmm. yeah. All right. Yeah. I was Absolutely. gonna say that's a great example. And exactly. it can happen think, anywhere. Like Airbnb is such an established tech company. It happens everywhere. Data. Yeah. <laughs> it's a problem across the board. Yeah. All right. Uh, uh, Logan, I, I definitely want to know more about, uh, uh, you know, your tool, about uh, what you're building. So if you can give us a, a quick uh, overview about the tool, or maybe you can share something uh, about data logs. Uh, yeah, yeah. That would be very interesting. You yeah, can I'd feel love free to, to do... share your screen so we can have a look at the tool as well. Okay. Yeah, I'd love to do a quick three, four minute demo of what we're building and then awesome. just talk about it from there. So we're actually, yeah. our goal is to make data discovery, data understanding instantaneous rather than having to ask around, talk to so many different people. So if everyone can just imagine that you're a data scientist at a car dealership and your project is to build a model to predict the average car price in two years from now. So the first step to building this model is you need data. So our goal is to make it as easy as a Google search. So you would come on data logs and our company would have indexed all of your data assets at your company. And you'd be able to instantly see all of the data tables and all of the dashboards that relate to that data set. You can see the status. So that quality that we talked about earlier, which one has the stamp of approval is production ready. And then mm -hmm. once you find the right data, the next piece is, okay, how do you understand it quickly? 
So the way that data logs works is we're reading all of the schema tables and all the information about dashboards at a company. We allow users to input definitions, what things mean, add comments. So if there's red flags like, hey, this column has a bunch of null values or there's this issue, this problem, you can flag it all in data logs so that that trivial tribal knowledge is captured. We also right. have a discussion board. So conversations about the data live with oh. the data itself. So rather than being lost on Teams or Slack, it's one place where all of your conversations about the data can be. And we're actually building out integrations with Microsoft Teams and Slack. So if you ask a question on data logs, it would ping the table owner in Teams to say, hey, you were asked this question, can you respond? And it goes right back into data logs. And then we also allow people to upload code templates so all those different metrics, queries that can be used, you can publish them right here. And then the last piece we do is we actually scrape the data lineage from a company's mm -hmm. data warehouses. So the idea with this is that we go in and read your SQL query logs and then create this larger map of how everything's connected at the company. And then right now we're, we're working with a few startups to mid-sized companies to help them basically understand their data environment. But for us, it's never too early to start documenting data and it should start be something from the start. So as you're in the early stages of data, building out these documentation and tools go with it, it's a lot easier to solve that problem today versus two years from now when you have so much data. So our yeah. goal is to partner with small companies. Like I think Christine mentioned something about small companies exactly. in the comments on YouTube, yeah. but we can our goal is to begin helping from the start. So as you grow, your data is documented, usable for everyone at your company, rather than just staying in that messy zone that can cause issues. So that's the quick demo of our product. But yeah, if anyone's interested in using it, just feel free to go to our website and fill out the book demo, and we'll show you a more in-depth demo of how everything works on the front and back end of it. Wow, awesome. that's fantastic. And uh, a quick question to you, Logan, uh, what are you most excited about? Which features are you most excited about in data logs? Yeah, yeah. so I think Ryan really talked about it earlier, but how can we build that universe of data? So mm. let's say you're a data scientist and you're working on a project with this price data table and you have one or two other tables that you know, we as data mm. logs can recognize, okay, you're doing this project. How can we make smart suggestions to help you do better work? How can we recommend other tables that can help you to use that? So our goal is basically how can we use as much data science as possible to help you better understand your data at your company? So that's what I'm really excited for is the different data science tools that we can build on top of our platform over the next few years. Sounds like a plan. I think uh, definitely you're going to make some strides out there, uh, Logan. Okay, uh, I would love to take this question, and this was my question as well to you, Logan. What's next for data logs and what's coming up? Yeah, yeah that's a really good question. So we are going to be growing a little bit over the next few months. We have some new mm -hmm. clients starting up with us. So our goal Amazing. is really how can we make them happy and grow our business? And as far as a product goal is, our goal is to create the most metadata available on the market. So how can we understand pieces from the actual data itself, like who's using it, what's it being used for, how is everything connected, and then tie that all back into the tribal trivial knowledge that lives in the data user's head. So how can we extract and combine those two pieces to create the largest knowledge base of metadata available on the market? So that's our end goal is how do we build up this metadata knowledge base? We're still in the yeah. early stages. We're a fairly new startup growing pretty quickly, but that's our end goal is how do we build out this larger metadata asset to make data easier over the next five, 10, 15 years. All right. That's amazing. We're close to an hour and uh, it's time for us to, you know, quickly announce uh, the winners uh, for today's uh, 365 data science uh, raffle. I just quickly do that. I know Ryan has to jump on another meeting, <laughs> so we will uh, announce it here. All the best to all the, uh, participants out there will be giving an annual subscription yeah fingers crossed for you guys <laughs> and the winner is rajesh congratulations rajesh uh, for participating in all uh, everyone i do uh, give away one annual subscription every time during my show 
So feel free to uh, check your luck back again. But uh, getting back to you guys, Logan, Ryan, it was uh, such a pleasure to learn more about data logs, about uh, what you're doing, Ryan. And obviously, we still have a lot of, uh, I still want to talk a lot around uh, how you live on board, Ryan. So <laughs> that that conversation we need to have. And um, uh, if uh, one last question for you guys if folks wants to want to reach out to you which is the best place they can reach out yeah i think for me just adding me on linkedin and shooting me a message and then i'd love to connect talk about anything data anything our products so yeah feel free to add me on linkedin and my name is just logan havern on there h-a-v-e-r-n S same exact goes for me uh, except ryan grasso <laughs> <laughs> awesome uh, it was great to have you guys. Thank you, everyone, for joining in. Uh, thanks again, Logan, Brian. Uh, have a nice day. Okay. Thanks, Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Yeah.